Great. Good morning. This morning's New Testament passage comes out of the book of John. John chapter 1, the first 18 verses. Uh, You can find it on page... um, Oh, uh, page 1127 in your pew Bible. There we go. Uh, First, uh, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, page 1127 in your pew Bible. It says this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, all that that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him. Who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have received grace Upon grace, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much again for your goodness. We ask that you'd speak to our hearts this morning. In the name of Jesus, amen. I don't know if you know how much um, planning actually goes into putting on a service on Sunday morning. Actually, it's three services when you really think about it. But regularly, those of us who actively participate in preaching or assisting or hosting downstairs, on a weekly basis we get together and we review the past Sunday's service and then we uh, begin to plan for the coming Sunday service. We also take that moment to uh, plan sermon series. For example, the most recent sermon series, all those topics that no preacher wants to preach about, we were sitting in a planning meeting, uh, and we were assigning topics that everyone would have. We looked at what you all said you wanted to hear about, and we were assigning out those topics. And so we're giving Will his topic, and we're giving Kim his topic, and Howard takes a couple. And and then uh, at the end, I didn't have a topic. Uh, We were going to give me immigration, but that seemed like the obvious choice, so, so, so we didn't. And they said, you know what, why don't we take all those sticky, sticky topics and put them in one basket and have Orlando answer all those questions in one sermon. And so that's, that's what I have this morning. Hopefully I can answer some of those sticky questions of life. The truth is, I've been in ministry 20 years and I've heard all sorts of questions. And I knew from the very beginning, from relatively near the beginning, that I was going to get thrown a lot of curveballs. And the first time I realized that, I was in a Sunday school class teaching. And there was a gentleman in the class who raised his hand to ask a question. And he asked the most sincere question in the most sincere way he ever could. He looked at me and he said, Pastor, should women wear makeup? I thought, okay, that's a little curveball. And so I answered as best I could. I thought, you know what? Depends on the woman. 
Some need a little more help than others. And I realized in that moment that as a pastor, I was going to get asked all sorts of questions that sometimes didn't have necessarily a great answer to that regardless of how you answered, someone was going to get upset. Over the course of the years, some of those questions have been easy. For example, is sex before marriage wrong? Uh, Pastor, you know what? I've read in the Bible that, that we should not eat pork. So what about bacon? What about shrimp? What about bacon-wrapped shrimp? (laughs) And I don't like to to play my hand too early, but I will let you know that if bacon-wrapped shrimp is wrong, I don't want to be right. (laughs) I could go on with my list of questions, some stickier than others, some more current than others. I've had people ask over the course of the, the years, should I let my kids play Pokemon? Um, What if my daughter wants blue hair? Or rather, what if my daughter wants pink hair? What if my daughter wants blue hair? What if my son wants green hair? I get get asked that question. uh, Hey, Orlando, can we only listen to Christian music? What about country music? And you do know what you get when you play country music backwards. You get your wife back. You get your truck back. You get your job back. Orlando, what about rap music? And not speaking to the morality of rap, uh, but just telling you my personal preference in music, I think music is like candy, and all the rappers should be thrown away. (laughs) But we get to some of the questions like, what if my son or daughter wants a piercing? Or what if somebody wants a tattoo? Some preachers hate those kinds of questions. Because like I said, regardless of how you answer that question, someone's not going to be happy with the answer. Truth be told, I appreciate those kinds of questions. I appreciate those kinds of questions because of the underlying thought. And that underlying thought for me is very encouraging. For me, that underlying thought becomes, you know what, Orlando? I recognize that I am in this world, but not of this world. How do I live in light of that understanding? So today, what I'd like to do is I'd like to answer all of those questions. So let's go. Bacon? Yes. Shrimp? Yes. Bacon-wrapped shrimp? All the time, please. Better yet, instead of just answering each of those individual questions for you, why don't I share some principles with you that I think can guide each of us as we manage the sticky, thorny questions of life. Because the truth is, it's not only... It's not always about what I'm going to answer because I might not be there. Howard might not be there to help you answer the question. But how can you best answer and manage those sticky, thorny questions of life? So this morning I'd like to give you three quick principles. Principle number one is we manage those sticky questions of life. Principle number one is I need to answer those questions with a balance of truth and grace. I love what St. Augustine says. St. Augustine kind of encapsulates that idea of truth and grace with this quote. He says, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. I believe there's a danger in thinking that we have alone 
what our opinion is on some of these stickier, thornier questions of life. I think there's a danger in thinking that we alone have the right answer and that anyone who thinks even a little different than us is absolutely wrong. Now, don't misunderstand me, please. I believe that there is absolute truth in this world. There is truth in this world that I would absolutely stake my life on. I would stake my life on the fact that Christ is the Son of God, God made flesh, 100% man, 100% God. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is managing those gray areas of life when those questions get tossed our direction. In our New Testament passage, the words grace and truth are twice used to describe Christ. He's a bringer of grace and truth. And in my opinion, if they describe Christ, they should describe his church. And if they should describe his church, then in my opinion, they also should be an accurate description of the individuals that make up his church. We like those words. We like grace. And we like truth. But we're not always great at balancing Both of them. Tim Keller says it this way. Tim Keller says, truth without grace is not really truth. And grace without truth is not really grace. What happens is when we rely so heavily on truth, when we say we're only about truth, guess what that leads to? That leads to legalism. That leads to a laundry list of check boxes that if I can check all these boxes off, I'm okay with God. And it leaves no room for grace and the work that Christ did for us. But when we lean too heavy on grace and and don't balance it with truth, guess what we get? With only truth, we get legalism. With only grace, we get license. Oh, it's all about his grace. It doesn't matter how you live. Live however you want. You've heard the term greasy grace. Oh, just do whatever you want to do. His grace covers it all. And then we have no backbone. We have no truth to stand on. I believe as we manage these tricky questions, that we manage it with truth and grace. And there's a wonderfully perfect example of this in the Bible. In John chapter 8, we see Jesus talking with a woman caught in adultery. Do you remember that story? There was a woman caught in the act of adultery, and she is dragged by the Pharisees to where Jesus is. And they ask him a sticky question. They ask him a difficult question. They say, Jesus, we just caught this woman in the act of adultery, and the law says we should stone her. What do we do? And I love the way Jesus manages this question. Very first thing he says is something we all, uh, that is very familiar to all of us here. The very first thing he says is, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And in that moment, he goes back to writing in the sand. And as he does, every one of those Pharisees, starting from the oldest to the youngest, puts down their stone and walks away. And Jesus looks up and sees her standing alone and he asks her this question. Does no one condemn you? 
And then verse 11, there's this beautiful interaction. She says, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. You know what that was? That was grace being lived out. He could have said, you know what? You deserve to be stoned, and I'm the one without sin. Let me throw the first one. He says, I don't condemn you. He offers her the hope of grace. But he doesn't stop there. Look at what the rest of the passage says. He says, neither do I condemn you. That moment of grace. And then he says, go, and from now on, sin no more. Guess what that is? That's Christ speaking truth into her life. We need to be people that are able to balance the message of grace and truth as we manage these thorny, sticky questions of life. But it's not just about balancing grace and truth. I believe we should also remember that we were created to glorify God. Uh, When I became Presbyterian, I was introduced to some great confessions that I didn't know uh, existed. You know, I, I, I had known of the Apostles' Creed I didn't know there was a shorter Westminster Confession. I I didn't even know there was a longer Westminster Confession. But question one from the Westminster Shorter Catechism has always resonated with me. Question one is, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. My purpose in life is to glorify God. I wasn't created for Orlando Lopez. I wasn't created to to answer questions in a way that is convenient or comfortable for Orlando Lopez. I wasn't created, like society says, to do the things that make me happy. I was created ultimately with the purpose of glorifying God. Sadly, we bought into the lie that culture tells us, and that lie is that our life is all about us. If it makes you happy, do it. Just do whatever pleases you. And you know what? Sadly, that translates into our view of what the church is. Well, if the church doesn't make me happy, if the church doesn't serve me, if the style of worship or music isn't to my taste, then it isn't the church for me because it's all about me. You know what? It isn't all about you. It never has been. It's all about the one who you were created to glorify. It's all about the one who paid the ultimate price to purchase your life. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20 says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. For you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You're not yours. He paid the price. So you are called to glorify God. So as we manage these thorny questions of life, let us remember that our life's purpose isn't about us. Our life's purpose 
is to bring him glory because he paid the price for us. Every once in a while, I'll buy something for me and I'll remind my kids, this is mine. I bought it. I choose how it's handled. My kids try the same thing. Every once in a while, they'll buy food and they'll write their name on it and stick it in the refrigerator. But the refrigerator's mine, so it doesn't work for them. I recently bought a Rubik's Cube because I decided that I wanted to learn how to solve a Rubik's Cube. Um, and you know what? Solving a Rubik's Cube is surprisingly easy when you download the instructions from the internet. But I was working on my Rubik's Cube and I'd get to a place, and I'd put it down, and I'd remind my kids, this is not yours, you didn't buy it, this is dad's, you can't touch it, it is mine, because I paid the price. Your life is a Rubik's Cube in God's hands. He said, you know what, this is mine, I paid the price for him. You were created to bring him glory. When you face the great issues of life, remember that you were created to bring God Glory And the passage so beautifully talks about the glory of God. He says, we have beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten Son of God, filled with grace, truth. When those tricky questions come your way, and you have to answer them, remind yourself that you were created to glorify God. Remind yourself to answer with a balance of grace, and truth. Finally, remember that you are called to live in holy connection with the world around you. Holy connection. I know that sounds like an oxymoron. Because that word holy is a word that really means set apart. Particularly set apart for a special use or a special purpose. Kind of like those dishes at your house that no one's allowed to touch unless company comes over. Or like those towels in the bathroom that always confuse me because I don't know if I get to use them. Apparently they're only for company. They're special. They're set apart. You might even call them holy. Holiness gives that idea of separated for a special purpose. But at the same time, we live in this world. We have our feet planted in two different dimensions. We are part of a sinful and broken humanity. We live in this world with one foot planted in the now. But we're also agents of eternity. With one foot planted in yet to come. And how do we live that life? We cannot let our call to holiness disconnect us from the world around us. It's that whole idea of we are in this world, but we're not of this world. There comes a problem when we forget that we live in this world. And we have our head in the clouds. There's a comedian named Michael Jr. who calls that kind of Christian 
over saved. And he lays out a few uh, notes to see if you're over saved, if your head's so much in the clouds that you forget your feet are planted on the ground. And he, he lays out these, you might be over saved if you refuse to eat deviled eggs. If you rebuke your vacuum cleaner because it's a dirt devil, you might be oversaved. If you only have sheets on your bed because the Holy Spirit is the only comforter you need, you might be oversaved. If you refuse to use a computer because it has a cursor, you might be oversaved. That's not what God is calling us to. God is calling us to a life of holy connection. And we see this so wonderfully and beautifully illustrated out of the book of Daniel, our Old Testament passage today. If you remember in our Old Testament passage, the king has decreed uh, through advice of his satraps that no one should pray to any God other than him for the next 30 days. Daniel understands what the rule is and understands that the consequence is being thrown into the lion's den. But Daniel does what he does anyway because he knows who he is. He knows what he's called to. He knows that he's a man called to holiness. And so every day, Daniel still opens his window towards Jerusalem and three times a day, Daniel still prays. Guess what that is? That's holiness. That's holiness in action. And the satraps come to the king. And I'm almost positive that these satraps were related to my older brother. Because the very first thing they do is tattletale. Did you see that? Did you see what he's doing? And they bring Daniel before King Darius. And all day long, Darius tries to get out of sending Daniel to the lions. And that... That, as I read that, that became very interesting to me. He is distraught and heartbroken over the fact that he might have to send Daniel to the lion's den. You know why that was interesting to me? Because Daniel does live a holy and separate life. We see it throughout the book of Daniel. But he hasn't lost connection with the king. A pagan king who is distraught over the fact of losing his friend. The king can't do anything, and so he says, I'm sorry, Daniel. We know he's a pagan king because he tells Daniel, I hope that the God that you serve so faithfully is able to deliver you. The God that you serve, not the God that we serve, the God that you serve, your God. And they put him in the lion's den. And here's this pagan king They seal the lion's den with his signet ring. And he goes home and all night long he refuses to eat. He refuses to sleep. He can't sleep. He's so distraught. He won't even allow entertainment to be brought to him. Why? Because this holy man of God had not lost connection with the people around him. In the morning, he wakes up as soon as the sun's up, runs straight to the lion's den and calls out to Daniel. Daniel was your God that you serve so faithfully, able to save you. 
Daniel understood what it was like to live holy. But with his feet firmly planted in the reality of his day, connected with the world around him. You and I are called to be salt. And salt is no good when it stays in the salt shaker. Salt is only effective when it comes out of that salt shaker and touches your burrito. That's when salt is doing its job. Yes, live in holiness because the Bible reminds us that without holiness, no one will see God. But don't lose connection with the world around you. You're going to be faced with difficult questions, sticky questions, thorny questions, gray areas. You're not always going to be able to call on Howard or Orlando or Will or Kim or any of the other amazing preachers that we have here at the church. But you can keep in your heart and your mind these three principles. Answer those questions with a balance of truth and grace. Remember, you were created to glorify God and live in holy connection with the world around you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. Thank you because we recognize who you call us to be. And because of that, people are going to turn to us when they have difficult questions in life. And we want to be able to answer them. Allow us to be a people that balance grace and truth, that live for your glory, lives that are holy and connected to the people around them. Transform us to be more like you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.